Friday lunchtime lectures at the Open Data Institute. Hi everyone, welcome to today's ODI Fridays. Who's been to an ODI Fridays talk before? Great, so lots of new faces, welcome. If you're watching the live feed, please use hashtag ODI Fridays in order to ask a question and we'll read, read that out at the very end. It's a real pleasure to introduce James today. Um, he's a friend of the ODI and he's really passionate about using data to appeal to his audience and to actually write stories about London that are relevant and uh, for the readership. So I am going to hand over to James and thank you for coming in. Um, hello everybody, uh, thanks very much for coming along today. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know Londonist, uh, Londonist is a website that's been running for about 12 years now. Um, we cover London, obviously. Um, we have about a million and a half readers a month. Um, we focus on things to do in London, history, geeky stuff, that kind of thing. Um, and what I want to talk to you about today is um, my experience of, of data journalism. Uh, I'm not an expert in this field by any stretch of the imagination, as you'll find out. Um, but I, I am really excited by this. I think it's a really interesting thing. I've certainly had some ups and downs, which we'll go through later. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I hope to talk you through it and see what, this is where, where I am with this. Um, be interested to hear what you guys think as well, so um, let's crack on. Uh, so, what is data journalism? In many ways, journalists have been doing data journalism for well over a century. Um, certainly when I started as a journalist aged 18, uh, the internet was not very well developed. We had a dial-up modem in our office we were only allowed to use for about half an hour a day because it was so expensive. This is a long time ago, obviously. <laughs> um, uh, but what journalists would do is you'd trawl through uh, uh, council papers, you'd go through um, data from hospitals, reports and so on, and produce the stories yourself out of that. Um, now, with the advent of um, much better computing power and much better access to the internet, big data, gathering of big data, we can create uh, much more exciting types of story from uh, things like uh, this really exciting uh, map of New York that Ben Wellington made, um, where he's found the worst places, based on stats, the worst places to possibly park in New York based on crashes. Uh, similarly, um, there's some slightly more fun things <coughs> which expose a, a more important tale like this piece from The Guardian. They have a fantastic data blog, um, which I strongly recommend checking out if you haven't already. Um, uh, it's, it's taken a quirky title where you're looking at all the books which have girls in the title, but actually using it as a, as a, to illustrate a much wider point as to find out how many of these girls actually end up dead. Uh, and similarly, um, I've used one of Matt's cartoons, um, but to illustrate the MP scandal, the MP expenses scandal, um, the Telegraph paid £110,000 or thereabouts for leaked data on MPs' expenses, um, spent months going through that uh, and it prompted one of the biggest shake-ups of um, the expenses system that I think we've ever seen. Um, several members on former members of the Houses of Parliament being imprisoned. Um, that is where data journalism is really, uh, is really <coughs> effective in the public interest. Um, when is it useful? Uh, it's probably right now is more useful than ever before. Uh, the fake news... Um, dinosaurs uh, and the like, people making up stories, um, having the ability to show, uh, your, to show your readers where you've got your source from so they can go and verify it for themselves, 
Um, they can fact-check your work for you. It's about being open as a journalist with your readers, explaining to them uh, wh why you're telling them what you're telling them and how that you know this is the truth. Uh, this is particularly important, I think, at a time... I've got a picture there of Max Clifford because um, at a time when journalism is under increasing pressure financially, newspapers, uh, websites and so on are increasingly struggling financially, um, PR companies, brands, wealthy people, crooked wealthy people, uh, big international companies are spending more and more money on PR and marketing so that they can get their truth out there to us as the public, uh, whether or not it is the truth. Max Clifford uh, made quite a good career on not necessarily telling the truth at all. Uh, and it's not, it's, not, uh, it's not just him. Um, this, is quite, this is quite frequent. I quite often get press releases from PRs which purport to be about something that they know you'll write about because it's hilarious. Um, uh, we, we had something recently, I'm going to name and shame, I'm afraid. Uh, we had one recently which was a cooking with semen masterclass. Uh, obviously, it's a kind of bonkers headline. You know that people are going to write about it because uh, readers are going to want to know what it is. If you look a little bit deeper as to what was in this press release, it was actually a blog post on an events website, and they need you to sign up to their events website to find out more details about it. Uh, there was actually never going to be this Cooking with Seaman Masterclass, but many, many places wrote about it as if it was actually going to be a thing. Uh, but, of course, it did a great job of promoting the events website, which was uh, the purpose of the whole thing. Um, so I think at a time when... Trust in journalists is probably even lower than it's ever been before, and it was always right down there with estate agents and, uh, and the like. Uh, com combating fake news and that kind of thing, I think it's really important to be open and transparent with our audience, and I think uh, data journalism is a good way of being able to do this. Um, there's also an awful lot of misinformation that I told to journalists. I gave, these, I gave the example of the, uh, the cooking with senior masterclass, but there's plenty of misinformation out there. Um, if you can go back and find the data for yourself and go and look at it for yourself, uh, I think that's a really important and useful tool as a journalist in your seeking out of the truth. Um, there's, uh, I, I went on a really good course here at the ODI, actually. It was about data journalism. Um, and Jonathan Stoneman on the course said, think of data as a really knowledgeable, knowledgeable interviewee. It knows all the answers. You just have to ask the right questions. Uh, which is something that I found uh, very interesting uh, and worth exploring. Um, so, here's some examples of where uh, data journalism does do good. Um, there's been some explorations of the impact of Airbnb on, uh, on uh, rents in San Francisco, the most dangerous jobs uh, there are in, in, uh, the, in the world, and... Uh, health data and so on. So journalists are putting data to good use. So the challenges. Uh, number one, journalists are not naturally maths people. I absolutely hate maths. Uh, numbers freaks me out. I got a C at GCSE. I dropped it as quickly as I could. Uh, I think anybody who is naturally good at mathematics uh, and, and data does not go into a job like journalism because they'll get paid much, much better doing something like accountancy or pretty much anything else. Uh, journalism is one of the worst paid uh, jobs you can get into, and that's why journalists aren't mass people, because they don't realise it. <laughs> um, uh, 
the, the problem with journalists not being mass people or not being naturally gifted at numbers is that it can really lead to uh, a fear of spreadsheets. Um, it's taken me years to make my peace with Excel. Uh, I, have, I, still, I still have waking up at night thinking about all the little grids uh, and numbers not tallying up properly in the little triangle of doom when it tells you you've done it all wrong. Um, and I think for a journalist, that's a massive natural barrier to getting started with this. If you're not naturally inclined that way, you maybe are less inclined to get started down that route. Um, I certainly found that I've I put off doing a lot of this work. Even though I was interested in the outcomes, the actual getting into a spreadsheet and working out what was going on was something that for me was actually quite a hard barrier to get over. Um, it raises an awful lot of ethics issues. Uh, just like stealing mail from someone's mailbox isn't acceptable, stealing data from a website isn't, uh, equally isn't uh, ethical. Uh, there's an awful lot of data on people's websites that I don't think they realise is accessible. If you, do, if you do a specific search for an XML file or something, or an Excel file on someone's website, you'd be surprised how much stuff you can find. Uh, you can sometimes find people's salaries. You can sometimes find what they've paid to other companies. Um, the level of security on some people's websites and intranets is quite low sometimes. Um, I know some journalists have definitely found uh, some definitely found interesting things out of that, and then they've had to make a decision as to whether you use that. Is it in the public interest or not? Um, in some cases, uh, they've uncovered wrongdoing. They've uncovered payments uh, to public sector servant to public servants. Uh, they've uncovered gifts that ne shouldn't necessarily have been given, um, and that you'd argue obviously is in the public interest. Um, and then there's other stuff that you might find, but and just because it's there and you could find it, does it mean that you're allowed to use it? Uh, I don't think it's a debate that's been settled yet. You might wonder if you might wonder you might argue that if it's there and they haven't hidden it properly or they haven't put it behind a, a, a strong enough paywall, like maybe you could be out in the street and you could see that someone's dropped a an important piece of confidential paper on the floor. Anybody could pick that up. Similarly, do you do that when you're looking around someone's website? I don't know. It's an it's a interesting discussion. Going on from ethics, I want to talk about things like uh, using data out of context. Uh, if you're a journalist, you're not particularly st uh, statistics-oriented or you're not necessarily very statistics-literate. Uh, it's very, very important to be conscious of confirmation bias um, or picking the data that you want to fulfill the angle or the story that you're trying to tell. Um, it's natural for us as human beings, especially as journalists, to want to tell a story that makes an interesting read for your readers. Um, I think it's beholden on us to be almost more sceptical with data stories than you are with other sources. Um, it's absolutely key to make sure that what you're doing is telling the truth at all times, that your understanding of the truth and what you're presenting as a story to your readers is your understanding of the truth to the absolute best of your ability, that you've checked it, you've double-checked it, you've questioned the source. Where have you got this from? Is the source reliable? The usual sort of ethics checks that you need to go through when you're relying on a source for a story. And I think it's really important to not just take the data and use that as your only source for the story. It does, it's not a substitute for what you could call shoe-leather journalism, where you actually go out there, or you make some phone calls, and you look at the stories behind the data. Why is the data telling you this? Why uh, can you find real-life examples to back up what you think you found in 
the story that you think you found? I think uh, that, that, hef that heavy level of skeptical scepticism is, is really key, especially around data, and especially knowing your own weakness around data, as I do. I'm always double-checking my results, asking someone maybe to have another look over it rather than just me looking at it. All that kind of thing is really, really important to making sure that you are really accurate with this. And finally, uh, uh, resources is uh, another really, really big stumbling block. Um, I mentioned earlier... Uh, the, the financial pressure that journalists are under, that, that publications are under, it means that you just don't have an awful lot of staff in an, in an editorial department any longer. And spending a week going through a spreadsheet and trying to pull out some stories from it uh, and really exploring the data is not a luxury that I don't think many journalists have. In fact, I'd be surprised if it's more than 1%. Um, mostly, you're, you're needing to produce a certain number of stories a day, or you need to be at least hitting like one really good story a day or every other day, and um, you've got massive pressure from your editor or someone like me who's going, come on, where's my copy? It, 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 means, that you, it means that you sometimes you might be reticent about embarking on this kind of thing. <clears throat> I think you have to, to take that into account and, and just think about, right, is what I'm about to do worth it? Am I going on a wild goose chase looking uh, at this spreadsheet, or is there really a story that I'm looking to tell here? Um, data, I guess, can be the source of data journalism, or it can be the tool with which the story is told, or it can be both. But you've got to treat it with scepticism, and you should be conscious of how it can shape and restrict the stories that are created with it. That was something that Paul Bradshaw said from um, Birmingham City University. Um, and I think, fi uh, finally, on this challenges one is, is something that I want to, talk, to go into a little bit further. It's, um, what's the story? Um, I've spent a fair bit of time mucking about with spreadsheets and um, plotting good-looking maps and making cool little apps and things like that, which has been very enjoyable as I've explored ways for our team to um, do, more data, do more data journalism, to, to give the public access to some of the cool sources that we found uh, and sharing with people. Uh, so here's something that I made. It's a really pretty-looking map of London. Uh, I mapped all the publicly accessible toilets by London Borough. So you can see, you know, the, the, the greater number, there's obviously this higher concentration of uh, publicly accessible toilets here and fewer out on the outskirts. Um, and I spent some time making this map and then I looked back and I thought, oh, this looks really good. And then I thought, so what? I, that's not actually that interesting, is it? Who cares? I mean, you can, you can I, you can, I can't show you on this, but you can hover over it and it'll tell you the figures and... But who cares if there's 25 publicly accessible toilets in Wandsworth? It doesn't really mean anything. It doesn't tell you where they are. Um, so um, <laughs> I have basically canned this because uh, it was a waste of my time. It looks nice though, right? Um, this is something I, I, again, couldn't quite... Uh, I can't quite capture it because it's interactive, but this is the cheapest and most expensive places to rent in London. This is a better example of uh, a map of London that we, we made. Um, you can hover over this and you can see the, uh, the cheapest and most expensive uh, prices of uh, flats, uh, flats to rent, places to rent in London by borough and the mean. So you can kind of get an impression of where it's very expensive to live and where it's less expensive to live. And uh, I think we included year-on-year uh, -year change, that kind of thing. That is a good example for me of data journalism telling you something that's interesting, giving you the answer to a story and allowing you as the reader, 
to explore it for yourself in a way that isn't just me as a journalist telling you this is what you should be interested in. Um, so that was, that was a good example of something that we did. Uh, and then I'll put, I'll put these in the wrong order. Um, <coughs> being more positive about it. Uh, I'm super, super excited about the opportunities that there are um, for data journalism. Uh, for me, very much, it's about democracy in action. You can, there's an awful lot of uh, open data sources from government, uh, from public health, uh, and the likes. And you can really explore that as a journalist to tell stories that have an impact on people's lives or that hold the government to account for what they're doing. You can make them answer why they've... You can at least ask the questions of them why they're making certain policy decisions. Or, uh, and I think for me that's, uh, that's a very, very powerful thing that we should all embrace. Uh, journalists are always very good at taking huge amounts of information and sifting it into what are the stories, making it accessible, making it interesting, making it something that you want to read rather than you having to go through the spreadsheet yourself or you having to look at the whole data set and try and pull out the story for yourself. Um, for me, something that I think is really useful is it gives good journalists the chance to share their sources. Um, we touched earlier on the lack of trust in journalists. Um, I am fed up with people saying that journalists tell lies all the time because they don't. Journalists, most journalists, are always looking to tell the truth, or at least the best truth that they can find with the, by doing the job that they're doing. Uh, it's pretty cheap and lazy to, for people to respond with, oh, this is just made up, where have you got your facts from? More and more database journalism where you can call back to your source, for me, is a great opportunity for us to be open with our readership and to talk about this is why, this is where we are where we are. Um, and there's brilliant ways and more creative ways of telling stories. Uh, infographics, we've all seen loads of infographics. Um, but it's a great way of conveying information, which is uh, part of a journalist's job. It's telling people information in a way that they can understand. It's quick and easy to understand. Infographics is a great way of doing it. For me, news apps or apps on websites is a really nice way to allow the reader to explore the data for themselves, but without, again, having to do the heavy lifting. Um, you can allow them to explore your story in a way that they want to look at it. So you might present it with, this is the angle that I think is the, the most interesting angle, is a news angle. But if you give them an opportunity to play with the data through a table um, or, or similar, um, they can explore a certain part of it that they, that, that they might be interested in. It means the journalist is no longer the gatekeeper for the information. Uh, perhaps there was something that the journalist skipped over or only lightly touched on in their story, but you want to find out more about it. For me, having data sources and presenting data uh, as an app or as an explorable table, that kind of thing, is a really, really exciting way of telling stories uh, and giving people access to that kind of information. Um, so, how easy is it to access data and how can we build stories from it? Um, it's definitely becoming a lot easier, certainly with uh, more and more technology. Um, uh, there, there's plenty of organisations that are making their data sets available. Uh, London Data Store is a really great one for us. Uh, TFL is very open about their data. Um, I got asked recently what was my favourite thing about, what was my favourite design thing from TFL of the last hundred years, and I said it was their open data policy because without them you wouldn't have. City Mapper or um, the other useful tools that you use to get around 
London. I don't use the journey planner. I use it. <laughs> um, but without that, without that kind of open data policy, um, it would uh, you, you wouldn't have access to this kind of thing. Um, uh, we, we're in a time where uh, other other organisations are using data to push their own agenda as well. Um, uh, I, I don't, how many journalists are in the room? If you, I'm sure you're all sick to death of those press releases about a survey told you this, that and the other, uh, which you know is cobblers and is just uh, marketing for the uh, company. Um, but more and more other organisations are using things like rental indexes and that sort of thing, uh, which is more reliable data, and you can explore that for yourself. Um, again, with that certain sceptical eye on it, um, uh, I do think we need to do more. I know a lot of organisations uh, struggle with the concept of opening up their data to public analysis and just keeping it free and open. Uh, I think um, there's some fears about competitiveness. Am I opening up my business to competitors? Uh, but for me, I think being transparent very often benefits the whole of your sector or the whole of society. Obviously, within reason, uh, I'm not totally Pollyanna about this. Uh, I think also um, a lot of people just aren't that data literate, and that's something that we don't teach in schools very much. Um, and uh, and perhaps that's another reason why we could do more to educate people and explain that they could probably do more with with data and how it's going to improve them and their communities. Uh, yeah, so will Excel dominate be the newsroom, of the newsroom tool of the future? Uh, like pretty much every question that the media asks, the answer is nearly always no. Uh, but as we get more sophisticated, uh, certainly around data, uh, I think that there's a lot more room for data. As journalists, I think, certainly for me, from my point of view, exploring more, getting over my fear of spreadsheets uh, and numbers, uh, and the exciting opportunities there are for really telling stories about the communities that we work in, um, it's really exciting. Um, so I'm very excited about it. I certainly think that all journalists should get more and more comfortable with the data uh, and with handling that kind of thing. Um, we're certainly very open to the idea of telling other people's data stories. So if you have stuff that you want to share with us, I'm really keen to hear what you guys are working on too. Um, drop me a line. Thank you. James, thank you for that. I'd like to kick off with a question. Yes. What's the most surprising thing or fact you've learnt from the data that you've been using or discovering? Uh, <laughs> oh, that's uh, really hard. Um, I, I found out an awful lot about the number of animal rescues there are by borough. Um, uh, <laughs> I've been playing with some weird data. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's an awful lot of uh, animal rescues in Hillingdon. Fire, yeah, like fire brigades getting called out to rescue animals, like cats up trees. <laughs> Did you find out why that was? Uh, no, I kind of stopped playing with it at that point. Because <laughs> you've gone too deep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, great. Um, you talk about the reluctance of organisations to release data. Yeah. What can be done to encourage them to try and release it? Because it strikes me that one reason they're not doing it is because they just don't know what data they hold, so that they're afraid to give access to it, and it's not managed particularly well. Mm. So they don't know whether what they're going to release is going to be commercially sensitive or whatever. So how, what can be done to try and encourage them to be a bit more open with their data? 
Yeah, I think um, as journalists, we can encourage uh, organisations to be more open. If you're thinking about a story and you want to get access to the data, I don't think there's any... You must ask for it for starters, and if they're frightened about it, it's about coaching them through that experience. Um, I, as a, when I started as a local reporter, a lot of work that I was doing was about persuading people who were worried about legal implications of things they're about to tell me, things like whistleblowers, for example, uh, coaching them through the process, coaching them that what they're about to do isn't going to uh, destroy their business or destroy their livelihood. Um, Equally, I think um, organisations that are encouraging and, and showing examples of uh, best practice, like <clears throat> like if you look at TfL or you look at the government or you look at the NHS, sharing their data, it hasn't destroyed them. It's been very beneficial. Um, I think if we champion those those best practice examples, it's it's a good way of showing people it's not actually as scary as they think it is. Does that answer your question? <laughs> yeah. It does, but then you know the nature of journalism is perhaps that we seek out negative stories, yeah. and therefore it's kind of difficult to to say you know oh we're we're doing good here, but actually we're going to expose you for this or this. Mm. So it's kind of a, a a difficult sell, I imagine. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a difficult sell, and you're not always you're you know you're often looking for a story that a company doesn't want you to tell, in which case we're going back to the ethics of stealing data um, or maybe someone giving it to you, um, and then it's your public interest choices, I guess. Thank you. Thanks for that. It was great. Um, what's your view on how editors are viewing data? Because, as you said, it takes a lot of time. Mm. Are they moving towards giving journalists more time? No. no. <laughs> uh, is probably the short answer. Um, newsrooms are under so much pressure, um, and... and the luxury of affording people to be able to spend large amounts of time not producing any output, but looking into a story, especially if it may not produce anything, that's a really hard call. Um, I'd love to see more of it happen. I think, you know, I, I certainly think that there's a lot of scope for like citizen journalism, uh, people who explore the data for themselves and then share it with publications. Um, there's some exciting opportunities around that, but um, certainly in a newsroom, especially yeah, the way things are going at the moment, it's... I try and make time for doing it. <laughs> and I think that's it. Hi. So you mentioned TFL as a data source. Mm -hmm. uh, are you using any other data sources? And also, second question, uh, if there was some data that you really wanted, what would that be? that you couldn't get? Um, <laughs> okay, so uh, other data sources I use, um, I, I'm very reliant on the London Data Store. Obviously, we're a London-based publication. Um, finding It's an absolutely amazing, rich source of information. Uh, Data.gov.uk is also absolutely fantastic. Um, you can pull all sorts of stuff from there. Um, but go to your local councils as well. It, depends, it kind of depends what sort of journalism you're interested in doing. Um, if it's news stuff, then those are great sources. If it's slightly more uh, uh, nebulous things, then um, uh, they're quite often out there. If you just do some Google searching for the sort of data you're looking for, it is quite often out there in some way, shape or form. And if it's not, you can always go and ask for it. I think it's... might as well ask. <laughs> um, what, what data would I like the access to uh, if I could have access to anything? Uh, 
the ability to read everybody's minds, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I have a question about the readers and what do we do about the fact that people don't trust data anymore? So you do, you know, we do the work as researchers maybe to deliver the data. You do the work to translate it into something that people can understand. Yeah. Why don't they trust it? I think we live in an age where statistics and you know all of this data yeah. doesn't seem to be trusted that much. So yeah, I agree. I think I think we do have a massive challenge around um, the presentation of statistics. Uh, statistics down lies and statistics. Um, you can make facts tell almost any story you want to. Um, I think that people don't trust them because they are quite often spun. Um, I think journalists are just as guilty of it as, as marketing departments. Um, sometimes if you're trying to tell a story, you might not be telling a story that as a scientist or a researcher necessarily you feel reflects your work in the way that you would like it to. Um, I understand that criticism. Um, all, I think all we can do is, as journalists, be as upfront, as open and as honest as we can be, as, as we are, and to give to share the data source with the readers. It's then beholden on them to go and, if they doubt it, to go and check it for themselves. If they're not prepared to do that, I don't really hold much truck with that argument of them not trusting the data. If you've, if you've presented the data for them to go and find out for themselves, if they don't believe you, just say, well, look, here's, here's my proof, but they won't look at it. Um, people, yeah, so people don't trust data. I think there's, there's an awful lot of public narrative around um, not trusting experts. And I think, we've seen some, I think we've seen some important collapses in trust around uh, forecasting, economic forecasting, around polling. Um, and I think it, that sort of story, as long as it... After you have a few of those examples, that narrative is the sort of narrative that gets attached to... Uh, to people who make these sort of predictions and, and who, who do hold huge amounts of data. And then it becomes that really easy le leap in your mind where you don't need, oh, experts, they don't know what they're talking about, do they? Um, which is lazy and bad. Any questions? Hi. Yeah, it's just, um, is there any evidence that your, when you did, like, you did your map of, the rents in London, yeah. that making the map actually made more people go and see it. Mm. Um, and also that, that people are actually that interested. I mean, you put a lot of effort into finding the data, presenting it. Is, are, do, are people actually that interested in it? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yes, they are, absolutely. Um, that I've, we've run that story before um, without the map, without, we've, we've essentially listed maybe like the, the top five and the bottom five uh, and written 250 words or so on it. On it. Um, that piece did about 10 times as many page views as any other article we've written on that topic. Um, so giving people the opportunity to explore where they live, for example, especially people are interested in how does this apply to me? So giving people the opportunity to look at where they live um, or to look at the, the factors that impact them has a significant improvement we found on uh, on, on people's interest, which is why I'm prepared to invest in it if we can tell the right story. Uh, coming back to your point about is it worth investing people's time, taking them off, doing other stuff? Yes, if we can find the right story. Um, we've got, uh, 
did you want to follow that one up? Or? Um, thank you very much. Um, my question is about a genre of stories that we can tell with open data. So can we opposed to like uh, pictures of how London can look uh, in this or that dimension, can we as journalists make investigations based on open data? Uh, how do you mean? I mean, like finding a scoop in the open data. Yeah. There's, uh, there are so many data sources out there, you can pretty much find a scoop. They're all over the place. You'll find some exclusive angle somewhere. Uh, you just have to look and, that, and, you and you have to think about what the stories you're trying to tell. Sometimes you'll get the data set and you'll be looking through it. You'll look at it this way, you'll look at it that way, and then the story will come to you. Sometimes you'll have an idea in your mind as to what you think the story should be or what the story you want to tell is, and then you go to the data to understand if you can tell that story from it. Does the evidence back up your thought process? Does that make sense? But there's so much out there that, yes, you can get a table and I can tell you... Um, yeah, that thing I did about the, the thing I did about the uh, the animal rescues actually was not interesting to start with. But when you start layering over things like fire station closures, um, how many people that live in the area, so number of cat rescues per capita based on fire station closures, you can start to see the pressures that are being put on public services, and then you do start getting a story out of it. Um, I guess it just depends the way you're looking at it. I think. Did you want to? Um, yeah. Is there an issue with the term data journalist and data journalism in terms of putting people off? Because you said that journalists don't like numbers, yep. and as soon as there's a label of data journalist, have you found that journalists just go, oh, that's not for me, and uh, kind of backed away? Yeah, openly I've struggled to generate a lot of excitement among my team when I start <laughs> talking about data journalism. Um, uh, but I think it's because they have exactly the same barriers that I had when I came to this, and I was like, oh, God, this is going to be a spreadsheet nightmare. Um, once you start showing them the stories that you can tell, then I think it really gets people excited about it. I think you're right. There's a, probably a problem with the, uh, the label data journalist. Ultimately, it is journalism still, like I said at the start. I've been trawling through council papers since I started, uh, which is basically data journalism. It's just not using a computer. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're all journalists, I guess. Some of us use data, too. Um, um, before we take any more from the audience, we've got some on Twitter. Um, hi. hi. So, uh, three questions so far on Twitter. First is, as a website owner, what files and data do you have that people can find and publish? Where does this fit within media ethics? It's a tricky question. Like in-house data? I presume so. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know is the short answer. I can find out. Okay. Uh, second is, what do you most wish you knew about data when you started out? Uh, pretty much everything. <laughs> um, I, what, what did I wish I knew more about? Uh, I wish I knew more about using Excel, 100%. I, it, yeah. I, now I do, and now it's great. Um, finally, any tips for data science people who'd like to contribute to journalism? Mm. Uh, get in touch with journalists. Do just tell us, because um, journalists are hungry for stories. We want to hear what you've got to say uh, about what you've got to say, what research you've been doing. I, I, I love teaming up with with people who are much better at this kind of thing than me, because they do the, the stuff that I can't do, and I'll tell the stories out of it. Um, I think that's an absolutely fantastic partnership to have. So um, yeah. 
Yay, data scientists. And just building on that and to your point earlier, I think one of the things that data science people and data experts can do really well is combine data sets, and that's where the stories come in, and that's where the scoops are. Generally, if you mm. bring data sets together, that can be really Yeah, annoying. layering your data sets is really helpful. It's just one at the back of the Really, a really quick question. I suspect I know the answer to, but it feeds in quite nicely with the last questions. So, how many data analysts do you have in your newsroom or on your team? <laughs> uh, we have a team of uh, uh, four full-time journalists. That's my edit, and some part-time, couple of part-time journalists, and that's my whole team. So we have no data analysts. Yeah. Anybody want to fund that? <laughs> Hi, thank you. Um, I'm not a journalist, um, but I do work with data, and it's usually very flawed um, in terms of data quality. And I find that whenever I present stuff, it always comes with loads of caveats, so I can never mm. really, with any certainty, I wouldn't put my hand in fire sometimes to say this is what it actually is. So just to, from that example, like the map with all the publicly available restrooms in London, what if a um, local authority hadn't posted all of them or if their data wasn't completely? How do you account for that in the way you write the story? Yeah, I think um, that's a very, very good question. Um, as a journalist, you, I think you need to explain to your reader what your, where the data, where you have, might have misgivings with the data or where you think there might be inaccuracies in it. If you're open about your sources and say, to the best of our ability, we understand that it is X. Um, uh, yeah, I, look, there's a conflict there. I, I know, especially people who are very, very pure about uh, uh, the, the total preciseness of data, um, which sometimes, uh, which sometimes interferes with telling a story as a, as a broader point. I think, especially if you're if your speciality is data science, you're, you're especially obsessed with the exact accuracy of the data and the way it's been gathered and the scientific method that is behind the gathering of that data. As a journalist, uh, you're probably less interested in that, but that's notwithstanding the fact that you want to tell the truth as much as you can. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, I just feel like sometimes maybe... Oh, sorry. Um, this is coming from like a place where I probably don't know a lot about journalism to begin with, but it, there was that whole, I don't know if it's a myth, but the three sources or something like that, whenever you verify a story. I mean, I feel like with data, if you have it from one source, how do you go about verifying and sort of making sure that it's as accurate as you'd like it to be? Yeah, um, it's a good point. And uh, this is why I think I referred earlier on to not just taking the data as your sole source for the story, getting out there and actually trying to find some human proof behind what you're finding in the data, um, or finding other ways to back up what you think you found in the data. It's one source. It's not your sole source for your story, um, although it can be a very good guide for you, I think. Any more questions? Yeah. Oh, uh, so I just want to go back to you talked earlier about helping your readers to understand the data that you were presenting, what have you found that's worked? Or what are the challenges that you're still trying to work with? Sure. Um, um, the, the, 
the challenges that we find um, is usually is nearly always about resource. Uh, the things that work for us is enabling people to uncover uh, their own truths or to find the bits of the story that are most relevant to them. So like, going back to the rents map, um, being able to show, for example, how does your borough stack up against other people's boroughs in recycling or whatever. It, it, it enables you to personalise the story to your own particular interests, I guess. Um, so that's really working for us. Um, I suppose bringing to life some on-the-surface dry uh, data, but which has an important social result, it can be quite a tough sell. Um, does that help? We're still, we're still feeling our way in this. Um, I definitely don't have the answers totally on this, but yeah, being able... What was really, really working for us is being able, ena enabling the reader to personalise the story for themselves. We've got time for a couple more questions. There's one at the back. I'll come back to you. Thank you. Um, you mentioned earlier about enabling people to uh, make news more relevant and more personalised for themselves. So in a battle of sharing fake news and real news there will be people that would be that would want to find content that will confirm their beliefs so how how moving forward how do we overcome that battle so like um for example trump <laughs> very clear um they would want they would always want to find something that they want to believe in something that can confirm their beliefs so like immigration and all that um, how do we how do we overcome that battle? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, it's a very broad question. Um, I think the more education we can do around how to identify fake news and not, and to encourage people to really educate people to read stuff that doesn't agree with your viewpoint is so 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 important. Um, how we actually do that, I don't know. Uh, it's going to take a concerted effort from everybody, um, journalists, publishers, social media platforms, um, schools. It's, it's, I think having an inquiring mind and challenging yourself intellectually is a super important thing to do, and um, it's very easy to not do that. It's very lazy. Um, one, one more question. Just, uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I'm just thinking about the role of citizen-generated data as a way to sort of combat uh, official narrative because sometimes even the categories in which open data is like published are kind of biased inherently, right? So have you any had any experience in crowdsourcing data and producing like alternative sort of look on the data? Uh, no, is the short answer. I haven't. Um, I would love to do more of that. Um, I haven't done any of it yet, though. Have, have you ex got any experience in that? Mm, or have you well, like, for example, with, um, with a friend, like, she did a um, citizen, uh, how to say, they registered their data on, on the bikes, and basically uh, they produced a map of, like, density of uh, bike uh, lanes, and this was a good evidence for saying that here is, like, overcrowded uh, bike lane or mm. something, for example. Yeah. I'm, I love all that stuff. It's 
is really fascinating for me. That was more or less what I was going to ask you, okay. whether, whether you've ever, ever done any kind of collaboration outside of Londonist and if you'd had any issues. But I haven't, but I really, really want to do it. Um, so if, if anybody here wants to come and talk to me about doing some collaborations or anybody who's watching, uh, I'm super, super up for uh, uh, doing that. It really shares the resource burden. I think it also creates some new creative ideas between you and um, people who are making it. So yeah, I'm really open for doing more of this and as much as we can, yeah. Great. Uh, thanks so much, James. Thanks, everyone, to, for coming. If you've got any questions for James or any questions on the Open Data Institute, please do talk to us after. Um, next week, we've got Jenny Tennyson, who's our CEO, talking to us uh, about what well, she's asking the question, should we have faith in data? So please come along next week if you can. And thanks for coming. Thank you. You've been listening to a Friday lunchtime lecture brought to you by the Open Data Institute.